Hi, I'm Valerie, and you're listening to The Beauty Brains. Welcome to The Beauty Brains, a show where real cosmetic chemists answer your beauty product questions and give you an insider's look at the cosmetics industry. This is episode 234. I'm your host, Valerie George, and with me today is Perry Romanowski. Hi, Perry. Hello, Valerie. So good to be here. Good to see you. On today's show, we're going to answer questions about, is retinyl propionate the most effective non-prescription form of retinol? Can you blend products together from the ordinary? Is it a good idea to make your own hand sanitizer? What can people who are losing their hair do to make wigs and hair pieces last longer? And what are your thoughts on Stradia's What are your thoughts on Stradia's new retinol cream? Wow, big big show, but first we're going to talk about what's been going on in our lives this week, get to some beauty science news and then hit up those questions. Well, Valerie, uh, I've been looking in the news, and uh, looks like your state is on fire right now. <laughs> Literally and figuratively and emotionally on fire for sure. Guess how hot it was here this weekend. I heard you broke some kind of record. It must be in the hundreds, right? Oh, my gosh. It was 120 degrees Fahrenheit Whoa. at my house this weekend. Not inside. I'm talking outside. It was very hot. Basically, it was like being in an oven and you were a cookie getting baked. It was awful. They say it's a dry heat though, right? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But you know what? Do you know what? I just kept thinking as it was so unbearably hot. I'm so, A, very lucky to have air conditioning. Lots of people in LA do not have air conditioning. In fact, when I first moved to LA and I, I was very, you know, not on my feet. I did not have air conditioning and my apartment would regularly be 110 wow. or 105 at night. Yeah. So I, I've been there, but also, um, you know, I try to think of our troops who have fought so hard for us overseas in the Middle East. This was like an average daily temperature for them. And they're wearing like lots of pounds of combat gear and all that kind of stuff. And here I am being a wimp about like three days of a record heat wave. So um, if you are a military member. Thank you for supporting our country. Sure. Uh, my father's retired military, so I totally get it. And thank you for serving. And I will no longer complain about everything being so hot. You just kind of soak yourself with sweat. What have you been up to? Uh, no, it's uh, <laughs> you, you, you raised some good points, and it's uh, not nearly as hot as where I am. I'm on the East Coast right now. Um, and you know, I was uh, I got the chance to go by the ocean today, and I saw what looked like a plastic bag just rolling in the wind. And yeah. so so I I went to go pick that up because, um, you know, you don't want to have litter on the beach. And it turned out it wasn't a plastic bag. It was this piece of foam that had come off of the surf. And I was looking at this foam and I, I was just like, up, not like styrofoam foam, like foam from the water. Yeah, yeah. Foam from the water it just turned up and it made this foam. And I was just amazed at how stable that foam was. <laughs> that was like a mixture of water and sand, and I don't know what else it could be. But uh, did you? Know, I did. I did not know. Probably that, all of our sunscreens floating in the water, helping emulsify everything together. It. It really. It must be that because. <laughs> 
we, you should get some and we'll get it analyzed. That is, I think, okay, tomorrow I'm going to go to the beach. I will get that and we can analyze the seafoam. <laughs> I was just amazed. I mean, it just, if it's just water wow. and making it, it, it should not be that stable, but it's just rolling along the sand looking like a plastic bag. <laughs> the meringue of the ocean. <laughs> Indeed. It was ocean meringue. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, that sounds fun that you're vacationing. Uh, lots of been, has been going on in the cosmetics industry. Let's head to some beauty science news. Yeah, that sounds good. Well, there, I think there was one big piece of news this week. Would you like to break it to everybody? Well, it's another thing about California. <laughs> and <laughs> We have a, a theme on this show, California and retinol. We have two <laughs> retinol products. That's right. <laughs> Questions, yeah. Finally, California has made your products safe. Well, a bill has gone to the governor anyway. I don't know. He hasn't signed it yet, but <laughs> we'll see. Oh, uh, he will sign it. I'm I'm so glad that cosmetics are safer. <laughs> well, according to this uh, article in, in Happy, uh, California has just passed a uh, a new regulation which has proposed banning twelve ingredients that they have called out specifically and twelve they're ingredients. Ban. Yep. Mm-hmm. This is something that was supported by the Environmental Working Group, the non science based uh, NGO, which. Uh, it's the watchdog of the cosmetic industry without any toxicologists on staff. And their good friend, uh, Courtney Kardashian, I saw she was uh, speaking up this one, too. So there you go. Yeah, I'm very glad about her knowledge in this area. <laughs> no, so they really they really pulled out all of the guns on this one, and uh, they got it passed. So uh, let's, let's look at what this is. The proposed ban ingredients are uh, formaldehyde, which... If you wanted to sell something with formaldehyde in California, it already had to say, this is known to cause cancer. So so not a lot of people have been using formaldehyde uh, in cosmetics. Also, paraformaldehyde and methylene glycol. Again, these are ingredients that uh, no big brand is using anyway. Quaternium-15 is a formaldehyde donor uh, preservative, and it was uh, famously used for a long time in Johnson Johnson baby shampoo. Uh, just a couple of years ago, they they reformulated that out. Uh, but actually, around the world, they nobody was they weren't using quaternium fifteen around the world because uh, it's illegal in Japan to use that ingredient. Mm-hmm. So they had a different preservative system, and they took a lot of heat for not changing their formula uh, earlier. But Johnson Johnson baby shampoo, they haven't changed their formula before a couple of years ago. They hadn't changed their formula in decades, right? So that's why it was in there. Um, Also, this bill bans mercury, again, an ingredient that nobody uses, dibutyl and dihexyl phthalates, isobutyl and isopropyl parabens, more ingredients that pretty much nobody's using anymore. They they have PFASs, and there's a couple of hair dye things that were uh, being banned. Uh, M-N-O-phenyldiamine. M-N-O-phenylenediamine, yeah. which, by the way, like, no one's used since the 80s oh. or 90s. So, like, come on. So, congratulations, California. You're banning ingredients that nobody is using anymore. <laughs> and this, uh, I, I predict this law will have exactly zero impact on consumers. <laughs> yeah, I was so glad when this news broke because everyone at our company was like, oh my gosh, do we have to reformulate? And it was just like, LOL, done. We did that 30 years ago. Yeah. 
Exactly. So this is uh hey, if this was passed in the 1960s, congratulations. But 2020s, well, it's okay. <laughs> we just tied up our tax dollars, right? When I got into the industry uh, in 1992, uh, I was working on the VO5 hair conditioner brand, and we still use formaldehyde or formalin as our preservative. And one of my first projects was to switch that out for DMDM Hydantoin, which we did. <laughs> so, so VO5 hasn't had formaldehyde in it since 1992. Oh, gosh. Well, it's good to see that they're passing some laws, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, well, it would have been better if this law actually had like um, impact or actually um, instructed real ingredients of concern. And instead, I think they just put stuff on there to put stuff on there without really any anyone saying like, this list is a waste of time. Why don't you make a real list? Well, I just think that's the strategy of these groups, though. They don't, since they don't really employ any scientists, they don't really have that kind of know-how. And... I think the government, they know that we they can pass this law and make it seem like they're making things safer, but then it's not really impacting industry at all. So they can say, oh, industry's bad and we're forcing them to do this. And industry's like, yeah, okay, thanks, guys. <laughs> we're not using that anyway. So I guess it's a win-win for everybody. <laughs> oh, gosh. Except consumers. It's, it's, it's just... <laughs> oh. oh, man. Well, let's answer some beauty questions for this week. I think our first question is an audio question. Let me cue that up. Hi, Beauty Brains. I have a question for you regarding a particular ingredient, retinol propanate. Um, This is a form of retinol that I use in the treatment room. Um, I'm an esthetician who specializes in acne treatment. And it's extremely effective, and the main company that makes products with this ingredient, Vivant Skincare, claim that this is the most effective form of retinol without a prescription. Um, I'm just sort of wondering, is that true? Are there other forms that are possibly better? Why isn't it more widely used if it's so great? Any insight on this would be greatly appreciated. I would love to hear your thoughts. Thank you. Well, thank you so much for that, Melissa. And you know what I loved about this question, Valerie? It was an audio question. Is that it? Uh, No, I do love the fact that it was audio, but it also gave me a chance to go review some science that I hadn't looked at in a while. Oh, Uh, cool. Because I honestly didn't know uh, this retinol propionoate. That's how I say propionoate. Uh, but that's not how you say it. Retinol propionate. propionate? I don't know. All right. Anyway, that retinol P. Propionate? It's <laughs> propionate. same Z's. Yeah, yeah, it's good. It's, We're good. Yeah. Yeah. It's They they actually, when you take uh, chemistry in college, you have a whole grammar lesson that you... <laughs> I, never, I, never I wish we that did. One. I know. No, they pretty much just, it's whatever, tomato, tomato. So I was looking, I you know, I knew all the retinol derivatives and such, but I did not specifically know, like, oh, if you rank them, which ones work the best? So that gave me a chance to look at that. So um, I also really like the fact that she asked this question. Um, you know, these there are so many companies out there that promise to give you some solution to a problem that is the best and 
I always think consumers should ask. I mean, if it is so great, why isn't everyone using it? Like, why aren't big companies using this? Uh, because, of course, big companies have they spend the most money on research, and they're going to use the best technology. So it's a great question. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the reason usually why everyone is not using it is usually because it really isn't that great. And that's exactly what's happening here. So first, let's talk about the, the patent. Um, I looked up and there are actually a couple of patents that were filed in the 1990s for topical treatments of vitamin A propionoate. Uh, and that's for James E. Fulton Jr. or the Dr. Fulton as advertised on the Vivant website. And so I assume that's the one they're referring to in their marketing. One was for the propionoate by itself, and then another was with the propionoate and the uh, alpha-hydroxy acid technology. But all of the patents have since expired, and actually any company is free to use that technology. So the patents they refer to are expired patents, and it's the way patents work is you get a patent, uh, and then you get... I think it's like 15 years of exclusive rights to use the technology. And then once it expires, anybody can use that technology. So while they had patents, these patents have expired. Now, next is part, part of the question was in regards to whether this is the most effective non-prescription form of retinol. Now, that claim seems a bit of an exaggeration, right? Mm-hmm. Just get to it, the tretinoin is the prescription version of retinol, or uh, or these retinoids, Mm -hmm. and this one has actually been clinically proven to work. And uh, so everything is compared to that, and when they say this is better than the the non-prescription retinol, that's what they're talking about. This This should work. You don't need a prescription for it, but it's supposed to work the best of the ones you don't need a prescription for. So retinol... Propionoate was the first clinically studied retinol ester, and in an article published in the journal Clinical and Experimental Dermatology, researchers Green et al., they did a double-blind, randomized, placebo-controlled trial with 80 patients using the retinol propionoate cream. 59 patients completed the 48-week study, and their conclusion... No subjective or objective data suggested improvement compared to the vehicle control. So... (laughs) So, wah, 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 yeah. Uh, and they specifically call out that the propionoate. And the review article that I read, it was in the journal Plastic and Reconstructive Surgery. They gave the following practical uh, advice and guidelines for surgeons and dermatologists in relation to ret- retinoids. They said, uh, number one, triretinoin is the standard topical treatment that works. Number two, it takes about three to six months of use to see epidermal improvements and nine to 12 months to see dermal improvements. And that's in the tretinoin, right? So that's the best thing that you can do. It's going to take you anywhere from three to nine months and up to a year to see any positive results. So yeah, yeah, that's a a long time, right? And that's the best, right? Number three, they said, most importantly, retinaldehyde at 0.05% to 0.1%. That's the only over-the-counter retinoid with significant evidence supporting its use, which is uh, interesting. Yeah, which is directly against the claim that this brand makes. So, if you're looking for one of these uh, non-prescription ones, look for retinaldehyde. And then, more specifically, this review article says there is no evidence to support the use of retino- retinoids commonly used in cosmeceutical products. For example, retinal palmitate. 
retinol propionoate and retinol acetate. So they specifically call out that retinol uh, propionoate uh, is not the best one, and uh, only retinaldehyde is the, the, the one that they suggest. So to answer your question, why isn't everyone using it? It's because there isn't any good evidence that it's effective, and in fact, there's uh, evidence that it's not effective. Wow. Great question and great answer, Perry. That was really good. Thanks. That was a fun one to look into because, you know, you hear these terms thrown around a lot by marketers and it's it's hard to know what's real, but uh, that's what the science says at the moment. Yeah. I, I mean, I think you make a great point. Um, if not everyone is using something and you're like, oh my gosh, this thing, why aren't more people using it? Why aren't more brands doing it? I think that is a question and also an answer. Right. (laughs) As well. I mean, you know, not everyone's doing it. Mm, Yeah. And of course, too, I I mean, it's marketing, right? Brands are trying to uh, sell stuff and uh, trying to make up terminology. And we all have access to the exact same ingredients, right? We all walk the same ingredient trade shows as chemists. And we're like, oh my gosh, check this ingredient out. Let me take it back to marketing. Um, And so brands have to find a way to spin it to make it different. That's the reality. And, you know, I, I think last week and even a few weeks back on the show, we had a few questions about micellar water. I mean, it, yeah, it, that's insane. My cells have been around for thousands of years. Right. I mean, it's, it's crazy, but it sounds pretty cool, right? Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's another way to talk about a technology that has been around for like, everybody can use micellar water. I mean, it's nothing, it's just diluted yeah. shampoo. I don't know. Like, <laughs> Oh gosh, I'll never forget the first time I heard that. I was like, wait, what? Like, that's a (laughs) thing? Oh my gosh. Anyway, next question. Shilpa asks, hi, Valerie and Perry. I love your podcast and never miss an episode. Well, thank you, Shilpa. Yeah, thank you. I have a question. I know you said it's not a good idea to make our own hand sanitizer, but lately I hear a lot about hand sanitizers being sold that have been found to have harmful chemicals. So my question is, what if I were to use rubbing alcohol and thicken it up with hyaluronic acid powder? It works great making vitamin C serum. Does it dissolve in alcohol too, or does some kind of chemical reaction happen? And I'm left with something that isn't rubbing alcohol with a useless precipitate, or even worse, a kind of toxic gas that gives me COVID-like symptoms. (laughs) Oh, wow. I don't think you have to worry about the gas giving you COVID-like symptoms. Okay, well... Well, you know, for someone who's not a chemist, I mean, even me sometimes with like cleaning supplies at home, I'm like, oh my God, should I mix these two together? It's bleach and ammonia. I'm just kidding. I don't ask that because every chemist (laughs) knows what happens there. But anyway, um, no, I think it's a valid question because we have heard and we've even talked about on the show about hand sanitizers that have been recalled because they don't contain ethyl alcohol, but they contain methyl alcohol, which I'm like laughing because I'm like, who would do that? But anyway, so it's, it's totally scary. Okay. So the first thing is we've said, it's not a good idea to make your own hand sanitizer because it's highly regulated. There are specific recipes you have to follow, uh, regulated by the FDA. And I think if you look for hand sanitizers that bear the drug facts label and are from a reputable brand, you should be pretty fine and you don't have to worry about those uh, having harmful chemicals on it. But let's say you are you can't find any hand sanitizer or you're really, really committed to making your own, okay? If you were to use rubbing alcohol, you would need to make sure that you're using it so that your final product has the 
amount recommended by the FDA, which I believe is 62 to 70%. Yeah, that's like the that's that's the minimum. Yeah, minimum level, of course. And then yeah, for iso okay. for isopropyl alcohol, it's 70% is the minimum. I think yeah, for isopropyl alcohol versus yeah, ethyl, ethyl alcohol. alcohol, yeah. Yeah. So, it's important that like whatever you're adding to it, you kind of hit that ratio. And if you're really committed to making your own hand sanitizer, the FDA has published the World Health Organization formulas, which can give you all the ratios that you need of all the different ingredients. Yeah. Anyway, but let's say you're, you're like, no, Perry Valerie, I'm extra committed to using rubbing alcohol and thickening it thickening it up with hyaluronic acid powder, which we've talked about on the show before. You really can't use a ton of hyaluronic acid in water because it, it becomes like so thick very fast yeah. that you can like barely even mix it and then it gets like kind of gross. So I think uh, 2%, per- 2% is actually, I think, the maximum before it turns into a gel. Yeah. So the first question I ask as a chemist is, can I add hyaluronic acid powder to this? is I ask myself, what is the solubility of hyaluronic acid? So meaning what can it be dissolved in? And hyaluronic acid is water soluble. I'm not aware that it's alcohol soluble or even alcohol miscible. Yeah. So I would ordinarily look up the ingredient literature and find out how it should be used. Is it soluble in oils, water, alcohols? Is it miscible in either? Okay. Um, so I would look at that. So hyaluronic acid cannot be added to alcohol to thicken it. You could certainly add it to water, but you can't add it to alcohol. So while it works great making a vitamin C serum, um, you can't dissolve it in alcohol either. Valerie, I was looking up, and actually, you can uh, solubilize hyaluronic acid in a mixture of ethyl alcohol, isopropyl alcohol, propylene glycol, and butylene glycol, uh, and plus water in a ratio of one to one. So, you can sol- it, it's not directly soluble in alcohols, but uh, with a blend of alcohols and glycols, you can get it to go in. And water, the and, last and, ingredient you mentioned. Exactly, water. and water. I think. I think. <laughs> yeah. The biggest point there, though, is that you're not going to be able to get the right percentage of that alcohol if you're using hyaluronic acid. Exactly. Yeah. So, yeah, big takeaway there. And with uh, these hand sanitizers, the percent of alcohol is everything, you know, not having too much, not having too little. And in general, I would say that for the most part, when you are working with cosmetic ingredients, you don't have to worry uh, too much about stuff forming. I mean, most of the things we use as cosmetic chemists, you put together and hope nothing happens. Nothing yeah. really should happen, right? The whole point is a reaction doesn't happen. Um, so I wouldn't worry about um, having any gases coming off. I mean, the only times I've ever experienced where something is off gassing something is when I've used like ammonium laureth sulfate and you put the pH too high and ammonia is liberated from from the surfactant and then it smells like ammonia, which I'm like, wow, this smells really good. But anyway, um, I like the smell of ammonia. <laughs> I've had that problem using uh, hydrochloric acid and hyd- using uh, sulfuric acid. So, <laughs> so really strong acids are bases. Sometimes that can be a problem, but that's generally not what we're working with here. Yeah. Not, not with cosmetic ingredients. Yeah. So don't worry about that. Uh, but I guess to really, really answer your question is no, uh, you won't have much success making your own hand sanitizer with alcohol and hyaluronic acid powder. I would just recommend um, 
buying hand sanitizer that bears the drug facts label from a reputable brand. Yeah. And of course, even more effective than using hand sanitizer is just washing your hands with uh, soap and water. or hand wash. That's right. Third question. Well, this one comes to us from Biku. She says, uh, hello, I have a question regarding blending different water-based serums in a single bottle for convenience purposes. Specifically, I blend the ordinary niacinamide with the hyaluronic acid and the matrixyl just because I find it quite a hassle and time-consuming to use them separately. Does this practice affect their potency and efficacy? It just seemed like a good idea as they are both water-soluble. What do you think? Thank you. Uh, well, uh, you know, generally, I don't think it's a good idea to uh, to mix uh, products that were not mixed in the first place, right? <laughs> I mean, just, I'm like a super big fan of following manufacturers' directions. Yeah, you know, uh, just just you know, so just upfront, I want to say that because um, you know, when you're formulating, if if you wanted to put yeah, but you could put niacinamide in your uh, uh, matrixyl formula. There's no formulation issues there. So if they thought that was the best thing to do, they would have just done that. Now, granted, a company like The Ordinary, they have to fill their store shelves with lots of different products. And so that's, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's you got to have different variants. So anyway, um, but I was looking at it, and you're right. Both of these are water water-based formulas. So chemically... You should be able to blend them. Um, you know, the one thing, they do have different thickening systems. The matrixyl is based on carbamer, and the niacinamide is based on xanthan gum. And the the one problem when you're working with carbamer is that uh, if you have any electrolytes in there or salts in there, that could break that mm-hmm. structure. And the matrixyl product seems that it has... a uh, uh, the zinc PCA and the niacinamide, I think those can dissociate and that can interfere with the thickening system. Yes. So, so that could be an issue. I mean, there was a reason that uh, they didn't use uh, carbamer for the niacinamide formula, right? <laughs> Probably was a problem. The other thing that always concerns me about mixing products is the preservative systems. Now, looking at the formulas here, they both actually have the same preservative system. They use uh, phenoxyethanol and chlorphenicin uh, as their main preservatives. And so when you blend them together, uh, you know, you're essentially blending together the same system. So that's not as much of an issue to me. So Uh, although I'm always wary of mixing anything together just because you don't know the... uh, the microbial load that the different preservatives were uh, designed to affect. So basically, uh, as far as the potency goes, I I don't really think that it's going to affect the potency. the The only issue is like, say you have the niacinamide in at say it's one percent in your formula, right? Well, if you mix it one to one ratio with the other product, well, now you've only got a half a percent on there, not one percent. Yeah. So it's half as effective. So, so that could be an issue, right? Yeah, for me, I don't know. Um, I mean, I think, you know, when we're talking about actives like this, the niacinamide formula is basically niacinamide that's been thickened with xanthan gum and tamarindus indica seed gum. And then you have 
penetration enhancers, dimethyl isosorbide and ethoxydiglycol. And then you have the preservation system. So for me, I I have to think to myself as a chemist, um, obviously as a consumer, you probably wouldn't know this, but the formula has been designed to provide delivery in a certain mechanism. Yeah. And the other formula does not have those penetration enhancers. So um, I, I would think that if you're diluting it or combining it with other things, you may be losing the efficacy, not just through dilution, but because you've minimized the amount of penetration that can happen on the skin, which may be required for niacinamide. Whereas the others may be able to more topically sit, uh, you know, the matrixel being the... Um, the peptide, the palmitoyl peptide um, mixture may be fine sitting on the skin and having some more time. So I wouldn't necessarily combine them in that way. Like, I don't think any harm is going to come. I just don't think that if there's any benefit in using them alone, um, you may not get the full benefit. Um, but also devil's advocate of what we usually say, would you notice that you weren't getting a benefit? I don't know. Um, well, that's that's you know? kind of that's kind of where I come down on is like yeah, it's like, I I you you probably won't notice uh, any sort of uh, degeneration of performance in this, only because I think you're not really going to probably notice much benefit anyway. So, but that's yeah, especially if you're using a moisturizer product, you know. Yeah, well, I think too, uh, you know, mixing those two products may be fine. I wouldn't mix them and store them because. Uh, there may be some long-term incompatibilities that aren't working out. And the brand does stability testing before a product is launched. They don't do stability testing on combinations of products, right? They're assuming that you're storing them separately. So right. if you're just going to mix them in your hand and throw them on your face, cool. Uh, if you're going to mix them into the same bottle, I, I would advise against that just because something may complex out over time or the viscosity may not be stable. Um, or something like that. Yeah, the and then pH furthermore, must, might drift or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the other thing is when you want to be careful just mixing any products or not using products according to their intended directions, because luckily these have the same preservative. You may end up with a product that's not meant to be used in a certain way, and it has the wrong preservative for being left on, and, yeah. and all that kind of stuff, that, or quats or whatever. So you just want to be, just be careful and use uh, caution when um, combining things in the same bottle. Yeah, you know, you bring up a really good point that it's it's worth worth saying um, when a company makes a product like this and you do stability testing. Well, you you stability tested specifically on these ingredients, and even if you change the supplier of one ingredient, you have to redo all the stability testing because even if it's the same chemical, if it just comes from a different supplier, there might be different residual ingredients, and you don't really know. And so yep. when you're mixing these things together, it, it might there's certainly more chemicals in these formulas than is written on the ingredient list. And you don't know about what residuals might have an impact. So overall, it's probably not hurting you if you mix them together and then use the products. But if you mix them together and store it for long term, it's much less of a good idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you know, Pear, I've never met a chemist who's been okay with not following manufacturers' directions. <laughs> <laughs> Most uh, of us are like, why would you do that? Yeah. It's yeah. just funny. We, we just don't think in that way, you know? You've got to meet uh, a few few chemists who have launched their own brands and uh, get back to you. 
Well, if I launch my own brand, I would insist on following directions. Indeed. Me, me too. Me too. Shall we move on to the next question? Yeah, our next question comes to us from Maggie. She says, hi, Beauty Brains. Love your show. Thank you for sharing your thoughts and expertise freely. I have a question regarding alternative hair. Over the last year and a half, there has been a growing support community on Instagram of female hair loss sufferers looking to commiserate, educate, share tips, and normalize this condition, reduce the stigma and shame. I and my tens of thousands of fellow women dealing with this painful experience would be so grateful if you could make some prudent recommendations for products or practices that might extend the life of human hair toppers or wigs. Thank you again for all that you do. Well, this is a great question, and I think it's actually our first artificial hair question. Yeah, I do not think we've covered this topic before on the show. Have you ever covered wigs or extensions or anything uh, like that? I do not think Randy and I did either. So uh, I think we we okay. once we covered that uh, that spray hair stuff. <laughs> Remember that? Yeah. Now there's that product that yeah. comes out of a can you can spray your hair, but but that's I think different. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, this is uh, a great question because a lot of people uh, do wear wigs. They do wear hair pieces to uh, either completely cover their head or partially cover their head. And lots of people also uh, wear hair extensions to enhance the volume of their hair. And when we're talking about hair that is not your own, that's being attached to your head, whether it is through a wig or an extension or some um, other sort of piece, uh, it's important to ask what the, the hair is made out of. So you can buy a wig with or an extension with human hair that comes from different parts of the world and they and they standardize it and put it together into one weft. Um, or you can buy artificial hair, which is typically made out of a monofiber or basically a plastic material. And some uh, you know, synthetic hair can look really good. Some of it can look really bad. Um, yeah. and then of course, real hair can also be good or bad depending on, on where it's sourced and how it's put together and, and woven together. The important thing out of all of that, because wigs can get very expensive, extensions can get very expensive. It's important to understand how to care for them. I'll get the synthetic hair one out of the way uh, really quick. And I do want to thank uh, my stylist friend, Jen, who corroborated this information uh, with me just to make sure I wasn't missing anything. Uh, but when you have synthetic hair, wherever you purchase the hair piece from, whether it's a wig store or a beauty supply shop, the synthetic wigs actually have a special cleaner that can be used with them because they are made out of a plastic material. Yeah. You uh, don't want to use shampoo or styling products or anything else like that on it. You just want to use this special cleanser for it. Um, It's like you wouldn't shampoo your Barbie's head, right? You would use like a little special um, cleaner for the plastic hair. But real hair is the great thing about real wigs is that you can use ordinary products to care for it. You don't have to buy special product products for it. The key thing is you want to use a very gentle shampoo. You don't want to manipulate the hair too much uh, to loosen it from where it's woven in. And same thing with extensions. You uh, can use just any uh, really gentle shampoo and then gently condition it. You don't want to over condition it or treat it. You don't want to leave a lot of residue um, on the real hair. Just very gentle, you know, let it dry. You can even um, blow dry it with a comb. 
Uh, but gentle is the key. And of course, just like hair on your head, the less you get it, wash wet. it, the less get it wet, yeah. uh, the better condition the hair will be right there. It's no different um, in that sense. The difference is it's just not attached. So I hope that provides some peace of mind to know that there's not really a, a, a magic ingredient. There's not like snake oil that you can buy. You can use the everyday products that you have to treat your piece with care. And you don't have to spend a whole lot of money buying something that's not necessary. And you can just focus on, um, you know, living your best life and not have to worry about being put out during this, whatever journey you're going through, um, with the hair loss that you're going on, you can just use your everyday products as long as they're gentle and you're rinsing them out well, and you can go on about with what you're doing. And the important thing to realize is that uh, these real hair, uh, pieces, uh, the, the hair is going to suffer from the same kinds of problems that your hair does, yep. right? You're going to get damage if you get it wet, if you comb it and snag it, if you blow dry it, it'll, it, it can damage the hair the same way. And so that's just, you know, over time, uh, these these things will degrade. And, you know, uh, in, in, in a way, I think that the, the synthetic ones, they don't degrade as, as, as easily. Um, however, they don't look as good. So <laughs> that's kind of Yeah, right. yeah. And they're difficult to work with. Right, and the way right. that they move is interesting and uh, one mistake with a, a heat tool and, uh, right. <laughs> it's like, it's like gone. So right. yeah. Exactly. But anyway, ah. yeah, let's get this last question on retinol. And I'm super excited to talk about this one. All right. We got time for one more. This one comes to us from Wendy. Wendy says, I've been listening to your podcast for a while now and I love it. All right. Thanks, Wendy. We Woo-hoo. didn't, we didn't ask her to say that, but <laughs> But we'll take it. <laughs> and we did not choose this question only because you said that. But we it would did have not, chosen it. It did not hurt. <laughs> yeah. So Wendy says, what are your thoughts on Stradia's new retinol cream? Well, they got a new retinol cream. They advertise it contains encapsulated retinol. I know you talked about encapsulating retinol in your previous podcast. So I was wondering, what are your thoughts on this product? I love Stradia in general, but is it just a marketing gimmick or can retinol encapsulation actually work? So thanks so much. And thank you, Wendy. Boy, uh, you know something about Stradia, don't you, uh, Valerie? Yeah, Stradia is actually a great skincare line, and I have the pleasure of knowing the founder, Allie, um, oh. Allie Reed, I think her last name is, um, just through the industry. She is really passionate about what she does very diligent about the research that she does. Uh, just in the few times that I've gotten to speak with her, she really wants to make sure that she doesn't up. I don't want to, she didn't say these words, but she doesn't want to prey, prey on consumer ignorance, right? Like she yeah. really believes that the product should work. They should work through science. Um, very lovely woman. And uh, I've heard lots of great things about people who, who love her brand and just very humble. She's a really lovely person that I hope everyone gets the opportunity to know. Um, but in looking at their ingredient list, um, you know, these look like pretty good. I, I haven't used the formulas, but the formula looks like a pretty, pretty uh, solid formula. Um, their ingredients. Do you know what I like about What's this that? ingredient listing, Perry? What's that? And I, I think it's what you like about it as well. Take one guess. 
uh, it's using good technology. <laughs> it's using proper preservation. Oh, well, yeah, there is that, yes. Proper preservation. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but, uh, you know, what I what I also like about it, it is that in their marketing, they don't, they don't use the clean beauty BS and their focus is more on the uh, performance of the product, which is, I encourage. Like, I, I always think like when brands are talking about how they're natural and how they're clean, that's that's great and all, but uh, that's the law is that you have to be, you know, a safe product already. So what else are you doing for me? And they're not focusing on the benefits. And that's what I kind of like about the marketing of this one is they're talking about their benefits and they're using ingredients that could actually have that benefit. And that's what I appreciate about um, Stratty as well. And they focus on the science, right? They don't make it confusing with all this, these strange words. And you're like, what does that even mean? But it sounds really fabulous. It's very straightforward. This is what's in it. This is what it's doing. And you make the decision to buy it on your own. Um, Yeah. But let's get down to it, Perry. So we learned a lot about retinol or at least retinol propionate or propionate. I don't know. Retinol P earlier. Propionate, right. (laughs) But what about retinol that is encapsulated? I know, I don't know a lot about retinol. I'm just going to be very straightforward, but I do know in hair care, we have some actives that when encapsulated, they can have a little bit more stability, uh, whether or not, you know, I always think about what about when it's getting mixed and that kind of stuff. Sure, uh, doesn't sure. the encapsulation break open or whatever? Um, but what about retinol? It's famous for being instable, right? What about encapsulated retinol? What do you think? That, I think that's the, the same problem that you just pointed out is a problem with an encapsulated product like retinol. Now, the problem with retinol is that for some people's skin, it can be uh, irritating, right? If you use too much. And so yeah. one of the ways that you reduce that irritation is you make uh, uh, something like a retinol propionoate where it's a derivative. And so it's not going to be as directly irritating. But when you derivatize something, now you reduce the effectiveness of it as as we've seen. Um, so one of the other things you could try to do is, well, let's encapsulate the retinol and that'll reduce the irritation. Unfortunately, what that can also do is that uh, it doesn't break open, and so you're getting less of the retinol delivered to the skin, actually, than uh, you might be getting if it was the direct ingredient. So that, to me, is the issue with encapsulation. The only thing I will say is that these encapsulated products are being put onto your skin and left onto your skin. And when that's the case, then eventually they're going to break open. And so eventually you might have the effect. Uh, I haven't seen any good data to say that encapsulated retinol uh, is more effective than unencapsulated retinol, except stuff that comes from the companies that are selling encapsulated retinol. Of course, they show the benefits there. Uh, but I yeah, haven't all, seen... everything I've seen is actually from vendors, yeah, so that's right. why I'm a little hesitant. No, mm-hmm. exactly. I, I haven't seen any independent company who wasn't trying to sell an encapsulated product say, oh, it works better. Uh, however, you know, if you have a problem using retinol, uh, an irritation problem, trying something that's encapsulated, it might might work for you. It 
probably won't work as well, but you know, mostly I look at this formula, there's ceramides in it and it's going to be a good moisturizer. So, uh, you know, it's not a bad product. (laughs) You might be happy with it. (laughs) Yeah. I, I think it looks like a great formula. Uh, ceramides are great for the skin. It also has cholesterol and phytosphingosine in it, uh, which is also, um, Yeah, really good for the skin. I would be excited to try this product, encapsulated retinol or not. If if only we took uh, samples and tried them. (laughs) Well, I mean, I would take a sample and try it. And you know, I would provide honest feedback. I wouldn't be one of these influencers that just fluffs everything. You know, I would be like, hey, guess what? I tried this and I didn't like it, Um, but you might like it. Well, you know, in the earth, will donate to me for that. In the early days of the beauty brands, we used to take samples all the time. And then it got to a point where like, yeah, I love that you launched a new lipstick, but I don't use lipstick. <laughs> of course, now well, that I use lipstick, I, I'll take it. I know. Now that you're on board, hey, the beauty brands were open to taking samples again. <laughs> as long as brands are open to honest feedback. Right, right. Well, yeah, you can't. It's a two-way street. <laughs> it's, Gosh. You're, you're kind of taking a gamble. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's all we have time today for Perry and to our audience. Thanks for listening. Yeah, if you get a chance, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review there. That's going to help other people find the show. And sure, we have a full docket of beauty questions. And incidentally, if you have a question you want to post, just record that on your smartphone and then email it to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. You can also just send us an email. We, we take those too. But really, if you really want to get us to answer, sign up for Patreon. We're at patreon.com slash thebeautybrains. You can subscribe, send us a message there. And today we covered a Patreon question quicker than we had any of those other questions. So there you go. And also going back to audio questions, I know we're wrapping up the show. I do just want to say, if you sent me an audio question in our Instagram four and a half weeks ago, I'm very sorry it deleted the day I tried to retrieve it. Please send it back to us. Oops. I'm very (laughs) sorry your message disappeared. Yeah. So hopefully you're listening to the end of this show. But don't forget, speaking of social media, you can follow us on our various social media accounts. On Instagram, we're at TheBeautyBrains2018. On Twitter, we're at TheBeautyBrains. And we have a Facebook page. Well, thanks again, everybody. Thanks for listening. And remember, be brainy about your beauty. Cue the cat. Kittens.